We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. So if you want to have that open in your Bibles, that would be really useful to you, useful to me. And we're going to turn to prayer as we start to look at this passage together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to your word now, you would fill our minds with Christ. Fill our minds with his lordship. Fill our minds with his sacrifice. Fill our minds, Father, with your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, last week, we were looking at Paul's command. Do you remember? Uh, Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Paul's command to make his joy complete. And how are the people going to do that? Well, by being like-minded, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, valuing others above themselves. How do we get on with that last week? How's the past week been for you? See, I don't know about you, but when I read those words, no matter what I know in my mind, I always start to think about how humble I am. I mean, that leads to two things, doesn't it? Either a sense of pride in how humble I am. I mean, it's one of my greatest qualities. Humility, it's somewhere there at the top, I think. Just like how humble I am. Or usually, normally the moment when I notice I've done the first, a crippling despair at my lack of humility. I'm always reminded of the book that was published. It was called Humility. And on the back cover, the endorsement reads like this. The very best book on humility out there. It's very humble, isn't it? It's really hard, isn't it? What are we meant to do? The more that I think about myself, the harder it gets. So are we meant to be thinking less of ourselves? Are we thinking less, putting ourselves down? Is that the solution? I mean, that's the answer the world around gives us. Uh, Humility comes as we think less of ourselves, as we burst our pride, as we think of how to help others, as we put ourselves in each other's shoes, as we give up our privileges, our rights. But even as we do that, well, it's basically making us think more about ourselves again. It's an endless cycle. Well, perhaps we ought to give up on that. Uh, Mindfulness, that's in vogue at the moment, isn't it? Mindfulness tells us to put ourselves at the centre of everything. Forget about all that. Focus big on yourself and find your joy from in there. But that doesn't really work either, does it? Paul here in Philippians says the way to strive for the gospel is to be like-minded. He seems to say that this is possible. And he thinks it's more than possible. He tells the Philippians they should do it. And he says that all Christians should be that way. You see, the way that we think matters. So how then? How do we get this mind that Paul is talking about? How can we be like-minded? How can we have one mind? How can we, in humility, value others above ourselves? Well, Paul's answer to the question is not to think less about ourselves. Instead, it's to think about Jesus more. Have a look at verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Think about what Jesus did. Or you could say, it's not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less and thinking of Jesus more. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're simply going to think 
of Christ Jesus. We're going to do that in three ways this morning. If you're a note taker, three points. We'll think of Jesus in these three ways. Firstly, think of Jesus making himself nothing. Secondly, think of Jesus exalted to the highest place. And thirdly, think of Jesus doing it all for the gospel. There you go. That's where we're going. Let's make a start, shall we? Point one this morning. Think of Jesus making himself nothing. Think of Jesus making himself nothing. Now, I wonder this morning if you've ever been in this situation. Uh, Last Sunday, I went home via the supermarket. We had some friends coming over for lunch, so I needed to pick some stuff up. Uh, I got all my shopping done. I carried it to the self-checkout. And as I got there, I beeped all my things through. Then the message popped up. Verification required. Is the shopper over 25? (laughs) Out of the corner of my eye, I saw the red light flashing and I saw the shop assistant sigh and walk over to me. For some reason, I always think they're going to deny me. I mean, I'm way past 25 now, but I think they're always going to deny me. So what do I do? Well, I stand up straight, get all the inches I can. I try and find the light that's going to show my facial hair the most, uh, flash my wedding ring, try and deepen my voice a little bit. I mean, it's silly, isn't it? It's a silly example, but our natural tendency is to assert our status, whether that's when we think we deserve something, or when we've been called out for something, or even when our age is challenged. We want what we think is ours, don't we? We want what we think that we deserve. Whether that is respect, whether that's not to be shamed in front of other people, whether that's not to have your ID checked to make sure you're over 18. But just listen to what Paul says Jesus did in verses 6 to 8. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul wants the Philippians, and he wants us, to think of Jesus making himself nothing. Look at verse 6 there. In no uncertain terms, Paul is saying that Jesus was, in very nature, God. Emphatic. Jesus is God. That's our starting place. Since forever, being in very nature, he is God. Just imagine the highest honour you could possibly have. We've had a lot of those honours this week, haven't we? What can we think of? Uh, Prime Minister? President? CEO of the company? Well, just take that and ratchet it up by 100, and you're still nowhere, still nowhere near the honour that God has. The glory that God has far exceeds even our greatest ideas. We are totally unable to even scratch the surface of God's glory in our minds. That is how high Jesus was. Yet what does Paul say Jesus did? Verse 6 again. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. See, Jesus could have claimed every right, every honor, every parking space, every queue jump, every discount, but he did not. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. See what's being said here? God stepped down. But God didn't step down as an angel. God didn't even step down as a king. What does the verse say? 
He was in very nature God, yet Jesus took the very nature of a servant. Jesus added to himself humanity, and not only humanity, but the nature of a servant, one who works for the benefit of others. If you're investigating Christianity this morning, I think this is really compelling. See, no other God in any other religion steps down to serve. Our God does. Again, Paul is emphatic. God, the Son, became a man. Not pretending to be a man, not just looking like a man. As much as he is God, he took on flesh. Don't miss how big that is. I mean, we we tend to think of ourselves pretty highly, don't we? I mean, we've acknowledged that already. But the one that all of heaven sang his praises to step down and take on flesh, that is big. That is a downgrade of the most extreme level for God to become man. See, it's far closer for us to become an ant, an ant, than for the eternal creator of all to become a creature, to become man. How amazing is that? No rights, no rank, no power, no position, all in order that he might serve. But it doesn't stop there, does it? On the steps down, Jesus came down to our level, then he stepped right past us, and he went even lower. Verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus stepped down to our level and then went lower. He went to death. And even further than that, he went to death on a cross, even death on a cross. You can hear Paul's amazement as he writes that. Even death on a cross. See, in these three verses here, we've gone from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows, the glory of heaven to the humiliation of a criminal's death, a death reserved for the lowest possible criminal out there. The one who inhabited the heights of heaven, high on his throne above all of creation, came down, not merely to the human level, but even to the ultimate low, death on a cross, giving up the form of God, the honor, the glory of being God, where angel upon angel served him to be a servant himself, with no honor, no status, dying a criminal's death. This morning, how could you try and claw your way back up after you understand that? You see, as we think of Jesus, it's going to change how we think of ourselves. How God himself stepped down from heaven and took on humanity to die the criminal's death. It becomes totally unthinkable to try and assert ourselves in light of that, doesn't it? Here's a question for you to think about. Are you trying to pass Jesus on your way up this morning? Because he went far lower than we ever have and far lower than we ever could. Do we think of ourselves as deserving more than him? You see, if we're ever tempted to think that way, Paul says, think of Jesus. Think of Jesus making himself nothing. See, as I said earlier, making ourselves nothing, it's costly. We can be like toddlers. I have one myself. What do I mean by that? Well, you'll notice that toddlers develop this superhuman strength when they don't want to give something up. They shout, mine, and all of a sudden the claws come out. It's normally when you're trying to take an object off them that they shouldn't have uh, for their own safety normally, 
but they just have that grip, don't they? It gets tighter and tighter, and they will not let go. They cling to that thing like it's the most valuable thing in their whole world. I mean, we can be big toddlers, can't we? We can be just like that with what we think is valuable in this world. Uh, my reputation. I'm not going to lose it by inviting someone to church. My money. I'm not going to spend it by having other people over to my house for a meal. My time. I'm not going to give up an evening after work to read the Bible with someone else. It can be all sorts of things, can't it? What is it for you? But when we think of what Jesus did for us, when we think about Jesus making himself nothing, suddenly those things, they don't matter anymore. What is our reputation when the saviour of the world died a criminal's death on a cross? What is our money when his infinite worth was spent for us? What is our time when the maker of time itself stepped down into our world? What do we really have that is worth clinging on to? See, when we think of Jesus making himself nothing, it helps us put those things in perspective. It enables us to think like Jesus. We can ask that famous question that was on all the wristbands in the 90s. What would Jesus do? Now, of course, there are many caveats to that question. We are not stepping down out of heaven. We're not the creator of all. We're not dying to bear other people's sin. But we are called to follow his lead, to remember what he's done for us and show that to other people. What would Jesus do? Well, he did nothing out of self-ambition or vain conceit so I won't either. What would Jesus do? Well, he didn't look to his own interests, but to the interests of others, so I will too. See, if we get that, if we really get that, we'll realize that we're no more godlike than when we value others above ourselves, because that is exactly what God has done. This morning, think of Jesus making himself nothing. I'm told that a good biography is a rags-to-riches story. Well, Jesus' story is even better than that. In fact, the story of Jesus is a riches-to-rags-to-riches story. See, because Jesus did that, because Jesus made himself nothing, he was exalted to the highest place. That is our second point this morning. Think of Jesus exalted to the highest place. Think of Jesus exalted to the highest place. We've just been through a time, haven't we, of watching people climb over each other. Uh, making deals behind the scenes, collecting the votes, all in the name of becoming the next prime minister. It sounds a bit like a reality TV show, doesn't it, when you put it like that? As I watched, I found myself thinking in the back of my mind how pathetic it really was. But when I stopped and thought, I wondered whether I'm really that much different. See, watching that process, it's a reminder, isn't it, of what we all naturally do. It's a common saying, it's a dog-eat-dog world. We all want to be at the top, and we spend our time trying to get close to the people who are either there or those who are going to be there one day. I mean, it pays off generally, doesn't it? A position on the cabinet, an invite to that party, a cut of the bonus. Well, listen to what Paul says of Jesus here in verses 9 to 11. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. You see, Paul wants the Philippians 
And Paul wants us to think of Jesus exalted to the highest place. Because Jesus made himself nothing, because he did what no other man could, God exalted him. God raised him up. It's important that we don't mistake this for Jesus being made God. That'd be a big mistake. Remember earlier, he's always been God. But what is going on here is that God has gone public. This is a public unveiling. In Jesus' death and his resurrection, he has shown to all people that he is God. He has given the name that is above every other name, the name of God himself. He is shown to be the creator, the judge, the eternal one. And so he receives everything that comes with that. And what is that, verse 10? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In every place, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that he is Lord. That he is the king over all. To the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus is in the highest place. There's no higher place. Jesus has all the power. There's nothing outside of his reign. There is no knee that will not bow. There is no tongue that will not acknowledge that he is Lord. There is no place that does not belong to him. As one prime minister once put it, there is no square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Do you see how universal these words here are? how all-encompassing these words here are. If you haven't got it yet, let me just point out what it does not say. It doesn't say his name is above most names. What does it say? It says every name. And it doesn't just say that at the name of Jesus, some knees will bow. It says every knee. It doesn't even say every Christian's tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. What does it say? It says every tongue. Do you see, that is the ultimate position of ultimate power. There is nothing out there that compares to this. And that, the end of verse 11, brings God the Father glory. As Jesus is praised, God is glorified. As we see God in Jesus, we see what God is like. It brings him honor and glory. Jesus is above all things right now. And at the end of time, he is still going to be there. And every person, absolutely everyone, will bow before him, either as his friend or as his enemy. Every tongue is going to acknowledge that he is the king, either in total joy or with gritted teeth. Which one of those are you going to be this morning? This morning, think of Jesus exalted above all things. Well, how does that help us? Well, I think it helps us in two ways, actually. Firstly, it reminds us that our exaltation is later too. The Bible tells us there is going to be a time of exalting, but that time is not now. Paul's modeled that to us throughout Philippians. Uh, Chapter 1, he said, Now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Suffering now, glory later. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we're told to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, that he may lift us up in due time. See, thinking of Jesus here gets our perspectives right. But I think more importantly, and more what Paul is doing here in this passage, 
is it reminds us that Jesus is exalted now. See, as we think of Jesus, we have to think of where he is right now. He's not in the grave. He's not dead. No. The grave was found empty, and Jesus is alive. Jesus is exactly where Paul says he is here. He is in the highest place. He is sat down as the king of the universe. He is the name above all names. Right now. And if he is the ruler over all things, if he is exalted above every other name, then why would you not want to live for him now? Why would you think that you could gain something for yourself anywhere else? Why would you try and climb into his place? We have a privilege today. We have a privilege of being servants of that king, of being able to make ourselves nothing for him, knowing that he is in charge and he cares for us. See, living for Jesus now, it's better than cozying up to the next prime minister. What is the seat on the cabinet worth compared to life with the king right here, right now? I mean, you might be thinking to yourself that emptying ourselves for Jesus is like emptying your life into the sand. But the servant king who emptied himself for us has been enthroned on high. And he points out to us that service is valuable. Thinking of Jesus exalted to the highest place means we choose what is best because living for anything else is to settle for less. If Jesus is exalted, you can live for the very best. He has done it and he is exalted above all things. So think of Jesus exalted to the highest place. And finally this morning, third and final point. Think of Jesus doing it all for the gospel. Think of Jesus doing all of this that we've seen for the gospel. I mean, these verses are great, aren't they? There's so much in these verses that is worth thinking over, and that's what we want to do. But why has Paul put them here? It's the question we always want to ask. Why are they here in this passage? Is it simply that God loves serving? Is it that God so loved serving that he gave his one and only son to take it for a spin? I want to say this morning, selfless service is pointless. It's meaningless, isn't it? Uh, I could announce to all of you right here, right now, that tomorrow I'm going to go and wash the feet of everybody in Hemel Hempstead. You might think to yourself, oh, how humble, how great. I mean, it might be nice, might it? It would improve the hygiene of our town. But it wouldn't change a thing, would it? It wouldn't change anyone's life. I could announce at the top of my voice, I'm serving you! as I do that. But it wouldn't really do anything, would it? Is that what Jesus did? Is that what's going on here? Well, no, far from it. We see here that this is how God revealed himself to the world. This is how God went public. We had a second reading earlier, didn't we, from Isaiah chapter 52. And that's because in Philippians, Paul alludes to Isaiah twice. And by clocking this, it helps us Figure out what Paul is thinking here. See, Paul is not saying that Jesus is just an example to copy. He's not saying that God simply loves serving. Instead, Paul is pointing out that, just like himself, Jesus did all things for the gospel. So it gives us a nuance that helps us make a decision about what is the best thing for us next. See, all of this, everything that Jesus did was in the interest of that gospel. Every decision, every action he took was to bring us, to bring us back to God. 
He chose what was best for us instead of choosing what was best for himself. Isn't that what Paul's been doing throughout Philippians? Isn't that what he wants the Philippians to be doing? See, Paul wants the Philippians and he wants us to think of Jesus doing it all for the gospel. Paul is using two passages from the Old Testament here, two passages from Isaiah, two passages that talk about how God is going to be made known to the ends of the earth, about how God and only God will have every knee bow, every tongue acknowledge, recognize him as the one true God. And the most remarkable thing is, here in Philippians, that Paul takes those verses used only of Yahweh, only of God in the Old Testament, and applies them splat bang onto Jesus. Keep your finger in Philippians, and if you'd like to, turn with me to page 733 of our Red Church Bibles. Let me just show you how this works. Page 733, Isaiah 45, verses 22 and 23. And as I quickly read these to us, just listen out for how they connect to what was said in our passage this morning. Isaiah 45, verse 22 says, God says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow. Before me, every tongue will swear. Do you see what God's saying there? There's no other gods out there, just me. And I offer salvation to the ends of the earth. Here is my gospel, you could say, God is saying. God is saying, I'm going to serve all sorts of people. I'm going to save all sorts of people from Brazil to Bennett's End, from Apsley to Australia. All of the ends of the earth called to turn to God. God shown to be that one true God. The rest shown to be fakes. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will swear that this is God. There is no other. God will bring people back into relationship with himself. They're going to know the truth. They're going to follow him. And how was he going to do that? We saw that over Easter this year. Just flick forward a few pages. Page 741, Isaiah 52. Heard it read earlier. Verse 15, uh, verse 13, Isaiah 52. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Then take your eyes down to the bottom right corner, verse 5. How was he going to do that? Well, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought him, brought us peace, was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Flip back with me back to Philippians chapter 2. Do you see that grand plan of God? That method of saving the entire world, the gospel in advance. All of those promises, they are all coming together. All the promises of God, they all come together in the Lord Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus is how God did that. Jesus is how God went public as he stepped down out of heaven. It wasn't a whim. It wasn't a feeling, it was to save us, to bring us back to God, to bring the good news of life with God, to advance the gospel, you could say. 
As Jesus came down into our world, all eyes were on him. As he was made in human likeness, people saw God walking and talking. As he humbled himself to death on the cross, the world was watching. As he was raised to life again, the whole world could see God was at work. The story of Jesus is the gospel, put it simply. The story of Jesus is how we are saved. Because God came down to us to point our eyes back up to him. Because God took our sin on the cross and he cast it as far as the east is from the west. And all of that brought glory to God the Father. That is where our passage ends this morning. As the plan from before time came about, deliberately, God is shown to be God to the ends of the earth. He has all the glory. Because Jesus stepped down, because Jesus died, because Jesus rose, and because Jesus was exalted again, we can be saved. That's the gospel this morning. If that's your first time of hearing that, great. If it's the hundredth, brilliant. I'd love to talk to you more about it either way. But this morning, I want to encourage us, as Paul does here, think of Jesus doing everything for the gospel. Do you know the most remarkable thing of that? The remarkable thing about that is that we get to do the same. We get to be part of that. We get to strive together for the same gospel. We get to conduct ourselves in a way that is worthy of that gospel. We get to be united together because of what God has done in that gospel. We get to do what Paul's been doing. We get to take that news of what God has done and take it to the ends of the earth so that every, every person can hear the news. Remember, every knee will bow, every tongue will acknowledge, positively or negatively. Well, we have the opportunity to tell people before it's too late. What's that wristband going to say? Well, what would Jesus do? Well, he took every, every opportunity to advance the gospel, so we can too. What does that look like for you tomorrow? Well, perhaps it's taking time to pray for your friend. Perhaps it's inviting that colleague to, to church. Perhaps it's something else. But whatever it is, serving like Christ looks like serving people so that they come to hear the good news of Jesus. Think about the day when every knee will bow before Christ. Think of the people around you that have no idea that that day is coming. Think of Jesus doing everything for the gospel. Well, let's circle back to the start. How do we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? How do we, in humility, value others above ourselves? How do we look to our own interests, but not, not look to our own interests, but to the interests of others? How do we get that mindset of Christ? Well, not by thinking of ourselves. That's self-serving. Not even thinking less of ourselves. I mean, that's a sure way to pride and despair. Instead, think like Christ by thinking of Christ. Think of Jesus making himself nothing. Think of Jesus exalted to the highest place. Think of Jesus doing it all, all for the gospel. That is how Paul can give up the best thing for him and stay and serve those in Philippi. That is how Paul can be in prison, shackled to a guard night and day, and still be so full of joy. That is how the Philippians can be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. That is how we, in humility, 
can value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but each to the interests of others. Not by thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. By thinking like Jesus, by thinking of Jesus. Let's pray, shall we? And ask God's help to do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he was the one of whom all of heaven sang, yet stepped down into our world. Thank you that he came to our level. He became one of us. And we praise you that he went even further, stooping to serve. And as a servant, he went to die a death he did not deserve. We praise you, O God, that you are a serving God who cares for your people. Help us to fill our minds with this this week, we pray. And Father, we praise you that the Lord Jesus did not stay dead, but he rose again, that he was exalted to the highest place, that every tongue will acknowledge that he is Lord, that every knee will bow before him. Thank you that he revealed who God is to the entire world. Please fill our minds with that this week, we pray. And we thank you he did it all for the gospel. Thank you that he did it all, every part of that, for us and for our salvation. Thank you that he was not just a a mere example, a token gesture, a virtue signal, but thank you that his sacrifice, what he did was to bring us back to you again. Help us to think more of that this week, we pray. And Father, we pray that as we think those things, that our thinking would be changed, that we would, in our relationships with each other, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've taught us through it. Amen. Amen.